Three shots, four part, I just do two. One pup, pop four, birdie, woohoo. New driver, info, replace, into pop five, fairway, what you fin do? Think I'll try to get on into start right. Good morning, Andrew, Barry, Coketown Woods. Great to have you, Mac. Great to see you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. It's such a staple. Every time I open up my IG each morning, it's uh, like the first thing I get into work, usually about 6.30. And I'll like, you know, be popping in there before I start my shift or something like that. And it's always Barry Copetown Woods with a nice update. I love it. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, Barry Copetown Woods, um, owner, general manager, um, your family's... Uh, you know, your family owns the course. You're an amateur meteorologist. I, I see as well. So I, uh, I've been connecting with you for are a there while. Are, are there professional ones? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's like one of those jobs, right? You only have to be right so many times and, uh, exactly. and, and you're right more often than not, uh, from, from what I can tell. So if you're thinking about going out and playing Copetown Woods, have a look at, uh, you guys on Instagram, what Barry has suggested, if you think it might rain. Although the day that I got out there this summer, it did rain. It was a torrential downpour, but we still had a great time. I was out with uh, Bryce, who's typically on the pod with us here, and uh, we, had a, we had a blast. We had a lot of fun. Um, but I figured I would just start off, mention a couple things about the course, par 72. We played the tip, so it's just shy of 7,000 yards. It um, is every inch of that. It plays quite long, and it's uh, it's tricky. Um, 35 on the front, 37 on the back, with three par fives, I think, on the back, right? Yep, that's right. Right. Yeah, it starts off with one and then and then you hit that almost 250 yard par three right next, which my cousins Bryce and Blake were hitting like, you know, five irons into it's uphill a little bit and I'm trying to roast the three wood there. But uh yeah, and uh it's it's home to some of the best practice facilities I've ever played. So um I had a great time when I was there, looking forward to getting back on a bit of a drier day. And uh, just a quick little story, I lost and found my wedding ring on the uh, practice facilities. So there was some good karma in that day, not so much on the course, but afterwards when I uh, when I found the ring. So um, nice. Barry, thanks for hopping on. Quick little intro, but um, maybe you can tell us about yourself, the uh, the fourth family. I know you guys have a great uh, background in, and you've been in it for almost 20 years now at the golf course. So how are things going? And, uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So things are, uh, things are real good. Um, yeah, we're now in our, <clears throat> excuse me, in our 19th year, I guess next year will be our 20th. We opened 2003, um, prior to this being a golf course, uh, my dad was a broccoli farmer. Um, so he specialized in broccoli. He was always a farmer. Um, in the early eighties, when I was just a little kid, he wanted to start growing enough broccoli to be able to sell to the, the grocery stores instead of having to, you know, drive to the market in Toronto. He wanted to be able to sell enough, um, you know, to, he had to basically create enough volume to be able to sell to the grocery store. So he specialized in broccoli, um, at, you know, that point, um, I think I was six years old. I had no idea what, you know, what that meant or what, you know, but looking back now, I mean, it was a pretty vegetable. You wanted nothing to do. Yeah. And, and to make matters even worse, this is kind of a little known fact. If you haven't really been here and, and, and it's not quite as obvious and, and apparent anymore on our menu, but I had four older sisters. Um, I have four older sisters. Um, and I was the, uh, so the youngest only boy. And when he started selling to the grocery stores, he needed to have a product name for it. So similar to what you've, you know, you would see all the time, you know, with Romaine and different things like that, Andy boy in the grocery stores, uh, I became the name of the broccoli. So it was Berry brand broccoli. Um, so it's, uh, it was, and it was like that up until, you know, he sold the farm seven years ago. So, um, it was, I'm still waiting for my royalty check, but, uh, I guess building a golf course is pretty, a pretty decent, uh, 
uh, I guess offset of that, but yeah, free um, golf for life, right? Free golf for life is a, that's a royal. Uh, absolutely. So he's um, yeah. So we we kind of I guess getting into the mid to mid nineties, he started really you know seeing you know having problems with growing broccoli on this kind of specific piece of land that we're sitting on, and and kind of more specifically where I'm sitting right now in the clubhouse, where it's kind of up on a higher knoll of uh, of the property very sandy property, uh, very sandy soil on this side of the road. So we're opposite side of the road where our main farm was, where I grew up. Um, so I remember growing up working on the farm and, you know, harvesting the broccoli on this side of the road where it was really, you know, if you could have some that were, you know, an inch high, some that were full grown, just really, you know, sporadic growth. And so as opposed to selling the land or trying to figure out what else, you know, he essentially tried to figure out what else he could do with the land. It was at that time he had just started golfing. So he never played golf in his life. He was right around 50 and basically decided, you know, late, late, late forties and decided to say, you know, well, what about a golf course? I happened to be in sport management at the time at Durham college uh, in Oshawa. I had no interest in farming, um, you know, and he was very aware of that. Um, and so I remember that was, I believe I was in my second year and he called me and, and said, Hey, what, what are your thoughts about this? Would you be interested in obviously you know, that was a resounding yes. Um, and so that's kind of when the process started. That was like 97, maybe 90, yeah, 97, 98. Uh, and then it was, you know, that started the process of uh, zoning change and um, all of the the steps that, that, you know, are required to be able to, to get that approval, to be able to build a golf course. And, um, you know, that approval finally didn't come until essentially the, uh, the winter of 2001, um, heading into the winter of 2001. The first dozer was on the ground April 1st, 2002, and we opened the doors um, with a fully built clubhouse and everything June 2nd, 2003. So 14 months from Broccoli Farm, essentially, you know, coming out of that spring, um, that first dozer was here, 14 months to, uh, to you know, to build everything and get it open. And uh, we could have we could have potentially done a soft opening in the fall. Uh, I mean, everything was seeded by September. Um, we were out playing it you know, late October. Um, the first person to actually ever play the golf course was Mo Norman who drove up and pulled in the driveway and we had no idea who, who he was. I had no clue who he was at the time. Mo ended up being here like three or four days a week for the first two years we were open. And then unfortunately passed away in the fall of 2004. But, um, I was a, a, one of the lucky ones to be able to get to know him and, and somebody that he was comfortable with. So that's just kind of a cool side story. Yeah, what, a, um, what a great person to get to play. Like even, even just to be able to tell that story. Right. So, yeah, no, so super cool. It sounds like any normal um, construction project where the paperwork takes a little bit longer than the actual course took to build. Right. But yeah, I'm kind of fascinated by that. So 14 months to build the course, everything was done. Um, you guys had, so uh, like I, I've played there a little bit. You have a, a couple water features, not features, but a couple water uh, holes. Um, yeah, I guess it would be well, no, like four or five. I guess um, were they all on the course already, or are they man-made? A little bit of both. So yeah. there, there were some where the eight hole short par four. We've got a pond in front of it. Um, yeah. That one pond is actually part of like a five little kind of mini pond, um, well, you know, wetland environmental area that used to be one huge pond that was the main irrigation um you know that's where we would draw draw everything from for the irrigation for the uh for the farm um so that was kind of altered um and then the one between 2 and 18 and the one between 10 11 there was one there those were kind of changed modified to make into two um and then our main irrigation pond on 13 that was there as well uh 
and it was again kind of a main source of water for us for the farm but then it was uh it was made bigger before we opened and i think it's been made bigger twice since we've opened we don't uh, rely on any we don't have a water source we don't have a natural spring that we pull from we rely strictly on runoff and winter thaw so as much surface area as we can have to be able to gather then and capture that water um that will help us on it certainly it didn't wouldn't have made a difference we could have had a uh, a bucket out there for this year that we would have to draw irrigation water from and we wouldn't have needed it. But um, last year was a great example where we were, you could almost walk on the bottom of it last year. It was so dry. Um, and then this year, polar opposite. It's been, it's been a gong show of a, uh, of a year for, for rain, but uh, yeah, a very interesting process of, you know, being on the ground and being there literally every day of, of, uh, of, you know, the, the building process and, and watching these things transform of watching this one huge irrigation pond, you know, get dammed up and, you know, half drained and built into, you know, five smaller ponds and um, really, really neat. And, um, you know, I, I've said this to many people that I wish I was today years old when, when we were doing that process, when we were right. building the golf course, um, you know, none of us, my, myself, my dad, we were not involved in, in golf courses in the golf industry at all before. And so it was all new to me. And, and I was, you know, at the time, like 21, 22 years old, and I had no idea. Were you on site, Barry, when they were building the, when they were building the course, like all the architectures there? Yeah. So at the time I was, um, I was managing a privately owned sports facility, um, up in Cambridge actually, um, and was living at home still. So every day I'd come home, you know, knowing that I was going to be, you know, the, my time would be up there soon, but, uh, every day I'd come home and would go out and, and kind of walk the course and see what they'd done and, you know, what different holes they had started shaping and, and roughing in. Um, and then, uh, August of two of 2002, that's when I made my kind of full-time, um, you know, made Copetown Woods was my full-time employment. So I worked with outside with the superintendent at the time to help, you know, kind of with the construction company that we had had build the golf course, they laid in, you know, most of the irrigation runs and drainage and all that kind of stuff. But there were, you know, kind of little things here and there that I helped the superintendent with and just kind of got a feel for what the hell it was because right. again i had no idea um and uh i mean if i told you know people listening now that know me or would probably you know question that i actually got my hands dirty um but uh it was uh yeah so i did that until essentially i guess you know november and then at that point moved inside um it was right around that we december was the time that we broke ground for the clubhouse um so we didn't uh um, we didn't have an office, worked out of our farm office across the road, um, kind of at our main operation there. And, uh, yeah, just kind of started pulling the pieces together for scorecards and all this, everything yeah. that you can think of. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a couple of people that I got to know that were, you know, really open to assisting and helping and, um, you know, some different golf pros. And at the time, Mike Turner, who, um, he's now a, a senior exec with golf North, um, who, you know, manages, you know, dozens of golf courses. Um, he was the head pro at the time at Whistlebear in Cambridge. And so I kind of knocked on his door and, and he was super open and Tom Vanderlip, who, um, you know, he's down at Niagara national now, but Tommy was a guy that was local. He, he worked at Heron Point Nancaster and, uh, at the time, kind of, I don't even know what when Copper Creek opened, um, but he he ended up opening Copper Creek, and so him and I, you know, we've always uh, you know stayed in touch. But he, again, he was just kind of somebody that helped me out as somebody with zero experience coming in. And um, you know, one funny story is when I 
was for starting, you know, I came from, you know, managing uh, the sports facility. We had, you know, budgets and we had to hit this and that and forecasting. And I said to my dad, okay, so what are we doing? Like, who's going to set a budget for us? Cause I don't know the first of, you know, what we're going to sell in the golf shop, how many rounds of golf we're going to do this, that, and the other. And he looked at me straight faced and he said, I've run my business for 30 years without a, bu- without a budget. And I'm not about to start. If this, if the, uh, if the sun, if the sun's out, the parking lot better be full. If it's pissing rain, you can't expect to make, to make a whole lot of money. And so, um, it was, uh, you know, that was my first, uh, you know, foray into, uh, into what kind of how we op- yeah. we still operate, we still operate like that to this day. I was just going to say, no wonder there was, uh, such a difficulty understanding the logic of not allowing people to play outside when, uh, when we were going through a pandemic and, mm-hmm. uh, allowing people outside to safely exercise and whatnot. So I was able yeah. to get to the course a couple of times. We went to one of the pop-up picnics, which was really cool. Just being able to walk the course. Um, we had a great time. And, and one of the things that I, well, it's, it's a food, I guess, idea, but was the broccoli salad. So if you're at the course, you got to go by and have the broccoli salad. Clearly you guys know what you're doing with that. It's a staple. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is magnificent. Um, I wanted to ask you about the clubhouse a little bit. So I know your dad's still on the course, like he still lives in the, in the area of the course. Um, yep. and the clubhouse itself. So it looks like it was built 150 years ago, right? Like it's that old kind of colonial style. Like, was there an yep. idea for, for how you wanted it to look? It's, it's extremely unique. I'm going to grab a couple photos and I'll pop them up if anybody's uh, listening over on YouTube, but this is, um, like this, it's one of the nicer clubhouses in all of golf, right? So what was the idea with it? You guys have an amazing patio now for anybody who wants to go check it out in the summer. Um, was there an idea to, to build it that way? Yeah. At the, you know, for the, the couple of years leading into the construction of the golf course, my parents, they drove down the East coast and went through, you know, the Carolinas and Georgia and drove in and out of hundreds of golf courses. You know, if it was a real nice clubhouse that they wanted to get a you know closer look at, they'd get out and go, you know, take some pictures and do whatever. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of the, you know, we, we wanted something that was, you know, that wouldn't look at a place in this area. So, you know, obviously kind of Victorian style, um, colonial, plantation-esque uh plantation-esque it's it's kind of you know built on farmland so we wanted it to kind of have that feel to it um the board and batten siding on it again you know kind of a little bit rustic and and certainly not uh, nothing that's modern um but one thing that we've you know that we did say to the architect when they when we were designing the clubhouse I, i do remember this is that we didn't want anything that was we don't want some big monstrosity we don't want it to be something massive that's gonna have so much empty space all the time our banquet hall you know was built essentially to house a a full shotgun tournament so 144 plus some volunteers and and staff and all that stuff so you know from a wedding perspective we can do 180 comfortably in here um and uh and and weddings wasn't even that wasn't even really anything that we had thought of like that we literally that wasn't on our radar to to kind of even think about um and so it's turned into that now and, and it's turned into a pretty big part of our business. And, um, but you know, so the entire upper, you know, the, the, I guess if you look at the photos of the golf of the clubhouse, the upper windows of it, those are all just dummy windows. They're all fake. There's nothing upstairs at all. Um, the, you got the main floor and then below the main portion of the clubhouse is where all of our golf carts are stored. So it is like, you know, you could eat off the floor down there. Um, it's something that, you know, I grew up with working in, you know, on the farm every day, you know, by six o'clock, we're done work. The barns are swept. They're, you know, 
clean as you could ever imagine. Um, so when you start your shift the next day, when everybody goes into the barn at quarter to six the next morning, everything is clean. Your workspace is ready to go. So that's carried on into here and, and continues to, you know, we train 14, 15 year old kids to be able to understand this, which isn't the easiest all the time, um, especially in this day and age. And, uh, but it's, um, yeah, it's very, it's a very well-used space, you know, every part of the clubhouse. The nice thing about the board and batten um, and the design of it is we've done, I'm going to say four or five additions to the clubhouse on either end. And you would have no idea. It, right. it blends it. You know, you could put one, we've done it before where we've added 15 feet on or added 20 feet on or added 40 feet on. And unless you really, you, you may like actually be out on the golf course and you'd look at it and be like, is that, is that new? Is that different? Yeah. You have no idea. So it, it's, uh, it's been great. And then, yeah, the addition of the patio last year, um, you know, once COVID hit, Alcohol and Gaming Commission gave restaurants and bars the ability to kind of open up their space without uh, worrying about, you know, uh, getting an additional license for the square footage. And um, we didn't really have a big patio. We had a small kind of covered verandas, which, you know, now has, has turned into another couple thousand square feet of, uh, of patio space that um, kind of was spurred on by my experience the seven years that I left the course. And, and we maybe get into that, but um, of uh, my experience in, in kind of managing Canadian Opens and um, for RBC and anytime, if ever, anybody's been to the Canadian open, whether it's at Glen Abbey or Hamilton or wherever it might may have been, there's always a big, huge temporary patio that's built off the clubhouse, um, for that week to be able to house all the guests. And so, you know, I said to my dad, I said, we can do that. I can get the company that can, you know, to come in, that's done that. They came in, they looked at it. They said, okay, for this, you know, space you're talking, it would be this much money and, you know, we can probably do it and then, you know, start it in a couple of weeks. They didn't get to the parking lot before he looked at me and he said, we can do this permanent for cheaper and faster. So the next, I'm going to say two days later, the sod was stripped. The box was along the edge of the veranda were, were pulled out. Um, our turf crew, our superintendent, his team, they prepped it. They formed it. We brought the stone in. They put the stone in and we had a concrete guy come in. The next, it was essentially seven days later patio tables and chairs were on it. We we're sitting on it and we've now got this, you know, 80 by 40 addition to our patio, which is incredible and uh, has served us extremely well the last two years. Yeah. I've, I've been on it again. It wasn't the nicest day, but it kind of cleared up when, of course, when we were done golfing and we sat for lunch and um, I'm kind of a lobster roll connoisseur. So I know, I think, I don't know your chef's name. Uh, I know you've posted a couple of times, chef John, chef John. So he does, I was there with the chef. Um, out in Bowmanville, he has the top ranked, uh, top ranked restaurant out here in Clarington. And he said like, you know, the food was great. It was, it was amazing. So, um, I had a lobster roll and I have had the best lobster roll in Canada. And that one was, it was, it was up there. It was pretty good. Um, shout out only to fresh lobsters. So those things come in, they, 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 they show up, uh, they show up alive and, uh, and then, yeah, it's, it's it, it was, it, it sucked for a lot of people getting close to the end of the summer. The price of lobster went at like, Oh, I crazy imagine, yeah. yeah and so we he he ended up taking them off the menu so they you know there wasn't a 40 dollar appetizer on the menu um and there was a, i'm not a lobster guy i'm not a seafood guy so i have no idea i'm taking your word for it and everybody else's word for it but there were so many people that were so mad that we didn't have lobster rolls and they <laughs> a lot of them said they wouldn't have cared what the price was <laughs> yeah i can i can tell you I've, so i've had um what 
I believe to be the best lobster roll in Canada at the Lobster Barn in Victoria, Prince Edward Island. And uh, I'm actually wearing a Prince Edward Island sweater right now. So I uh, I can say that it was up there. I have like a whole list of, of when I was down east kind of tracking them. I ate way too much. Um, but yeah, it's the food was amazing. We had a great time there. Um, wanted to ask you, before we move on, like you mentioned some of the RBC stuff, working uh, – you know, in sports management, before we move on, I wanted to touch on a couple more things with the course. Um, any other amenities other than the, uh, than the weddings, like there is the practice facility. So anybody who's out there, I suggest you go a few minutes early, check out the practice facilities. Cause it's like a top end range that you would ever go to. Um, and why fully public? If you could kind of, if you could touch on that a little bit before we move on. So that that's a, another real easy one. And that was a conversation back in 2002. Um, when I was sitting with my dad and we were talking about a bunch of things and I said, okay, so I knew we wouldn't go fully private, but I said to him, you know, what's your thought? Semi-private public. What, what are we going to do? And again, straight face said to me, I've run my business for 30 years with nobody telling me what to do. And I'm not about to start. And so sounds like a farmer, huh? like gets the, patio, sounds like a gets, farmer gets the patio done in a week, the through you know, and through and through if, the basement's clean every morning. I like it. I like it. If there is a, if there is something that we're going to do here, we're, we're going to do it. If it's a good idea, we're going to do it now and we're going to do it right. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, he gets pissed if, uh, you know, if we order a, a box of paper and, and it's the wrong paper that we have to send back and there's a, you know, a, a $11 charge on it but we'll drop 10 grand on the patio in a week to make it right. It's, you know, it's something that's going to last it's capital. It's, it's, it's making the overall experience better. Um, yeah. And we know there's going to be a return on it. And, and that's the nice thing is, you know, for me sitting here now is, is um, you know, certainly wasn't, I didn't have the free reign that I, you know, back then that I do now, but now I know that if it's going to, if it's going to make us money or it's going to make somebody's job more efficient, we'll spend the money on it yeah. every day of the week. Um, it's a you proper know, investment, if, right? That's, and that's exactly your guest. You're, you know, when we went there, we felt like we were, I saw somebody post the other day, uh, like kind of the Canadian Magnolia lane, right? So kind of driving up, like as soon as you enter the course, you, you sort of go down, I think it's a concession road. And then, um, yep. you see, you know, a couple nice houses and stuff as you approach, you turn down and then it's sort of blank for a minute. And then all of a sudden you see the first, uh, I guess, which, what would be the first green, the second and the ninth tee block yep. and you yep. kind of start driving up towards the course. And then the, you know, the clubhouse kind of pokes out. Right. And it's, it's, uh, you, you gotta just go, you gotta just go check it out. Um, for us out here on the East end, if anybody's, uh, anybody's listening out here, kind of where I am in Clarence and whatnot, it's about a little over an hour, hour and a half, but it's definitely worth the drive going to check it out. Um, pick a date message Barry on Copetown Woods and, and he'll, tell exactly. you, he'll tell you if it's going to be uh if it's going to be a nice day or not. Cause you yeah. gave, you gave us a heads up, but it's like, you know, golfing on a Saturday right now, Bryce was down from Michigan. You only get so many opportunities, right? So we just said, okay, well we got to go. We're not going to find a tea time anywhere else now anyway. So um, yep. we went out, made the best of it. It was a tough day for, um, my game kind of fitted okay. Like uh, I, I hit the ball a little bit longer than the average person, um, sometimes straighter. So luckily on that day it was straight and I was kind of going, I don't know when you drove by though, you saw me in that, in that fairway bunker on like number 14 <laughs> or something. But, 14. Yeah. 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 So I was, uh, I was a little trapped there, but, um, for Bryce, it was, it was tough because he's an extremely long hitter, um, that will run through a lot of fairways and, and whatnot. And we all agreed, um, 
Blake included and my friend Chef Mike, uh, that that's some of the most punishing rough, rough that we've played. It's the most punishing rough that I've played. Um, when you were in it, the ball was gone and it was deep and it was a nice challenge. I really liked it. It wasn't unfair. It wasn't, you know, it was a really, really nice challenge. We, we liked it. And, uh, like I was telling you, I think Blake was, um, I'm pretty sure he's a plus handicapper. I think he was plus seven on the front and then he went minus five on the back, I think. So it was a very, very interesting round to watch, but we had a, we had a good, a good time. But as soon as you left the fairway, it was a, it was an adventure getting back. Like I, I learned probably on the fourth hole that if you're over 150 yards out, you're kind of advancing the ball in that kind of weather. So it was, it was a unique challenge. I loved it. Um, but yeah, sorry. The, yeah, and, that, and, and it's uh, it, it it thinned out throughout the year. Um, it was uh, the spring was all year. We've had really really good grass growing weather, um, which yeah. is um, you know golf course has been in great condition. Um, and yeah, I mean the rough. It was you know cut consistently at the same height. It was just it would just nestle its way you know kind of get it get down in there and yeah, yeah it was um, you know we had ladies that that essentially wanted like fair, you know, the rough to be shaved down, you know, cause they couldn't get the ball out. And it's like, yeah, sorry. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's healthy. It's, it's, part it's, of the it's the game and the grass. I guess that's a good way to put it. Like the, the, the grass itself on the course was healthier than, you know, I get the, I was lucky enough to play black bear last weekend, which is close by me here. It's always kind of one of the perennial top five, 10 courses, like condition courses in the country. Coketown Woods was right there. And um, like a, a friend of mine, Anthony played there recently, said the same thing. Like the condition is, is top notch. It's, it was such a treat to play. And, and um, it wasn't just the rough, like it was the fairways, the greens, the greens were like immaculate, which was amazing. But um, yeah, so sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the fully public question because um, I like the idea that most courses that you go to are semi-private or whatever it may be. And then you have just the public idea and then, you know, obviously you have private. So is there a benefit to, uh, you know, a course owner like yourself, just having it listed as a public course, can that do anything like for the value? Will it change if you start adding members? What's the, what's the idea? Will you ever consider that in the, in the future going semi-private? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think there's, there, you know, there really has ever been any thought of that, to be honest. I think, right. you know, what we do offer is packages where, people could go in together as a group, get up to a larger package. We essentially, if you get to 50 rounds or more, if you pre-purchase those, you save 20% off your, off the rate, the regular green fee rate. So okay. you're netting your weekday round down to 47 bucks. Our, our rack rates are highest rates. We go here Monday to Friday, 59 and Saturday, Sunday and holiday 69. So netting those down and, you know, 20%, you're looking at, you know, 47 and 58, something along those lines. And so, um, wow. you know, for people to go in fully transferable packages, so you can buy them for your company, give them out to clients, you can, you know, bring your friends and your spouse and whoever you want. So we've got a, a pretty solid group of people that have, that continually purchase those year after year and consider this their home club, um, you know, for, for lack of a better term, you know, without having, having members they, they don't uh, they don't have a locker with their name on it and they don't get to keep their clubs here but this is where they would call home and, and play here multiple times a week so um we do have that you know that feeling it, it's not different people playing every day that said i mean we do get it's crazy how many new people continue to come out here that have never been here before um you know getting into even you know right now we're booking tea times and you call to book a time we take your phone number which essentially acts as your account number. So the next time you call, we've got your information, your email address, so you get email confirmations for your tea time. 
people call and ask, we ask them for their phone number and we're constantly putting new names into our system. And it's just, it's like it, the, the whole thing, it's snowballed. And I mean, obviously COVID is, uh, has, has been a, a, you know, terrible for so many businesses and industries, uh, golf courses cannot, you know, don't fall into that category. It, we've certainly, you know, benefited from it. I don't think there's really been a lot of places that have been greedy about it, um, you know, and, and taken advantage of it from a, a negative standpoint, taken advantage of, of it in terms of, you know, trying to lock in more loyal people and, and showcase what we've gotten and create, you know, create that, um, you know, those raving fans. And, and we've, we've certainly created a ton of them. Well, yeah, it's it, like, I talked to a couple of friends, like, you know, I said, Sammy was out there and he's been on the pod in the past with me chatting before. And, uh, like he said, he loved it. We were going to try and come out. Um, like I've been, it's a little bit of a drive, but trying to get back out for me would is kind of high priority because of, uh, the time we got to play in the condition and whatnot. And, um, I have no affiliation to any club, um, this year. Like we just had, a, we just had a baby, so I'm not playing, uh, as many rounds as I'd like to, but it's a, uh, it's a hundred dollar plus club. Like I can, I can confidently say that like you go to any other places around public courses, like it would be, um, a lot more money. So I don't know if that's a proper thing to say, but it's, the, it's gotta be, I think you guys are on the best value list and, and that's for good reason. And, um, I've been able to play quite a few of the top public courses in Ontario this year. And I would suggest that that's, uh, that it's up there as well. Um, and anybody that can kind of get out and check it out. I, uh, I liked it almost lost my wedding ring. Like I said, was terrified that I did, but, uh, <laughs> we found it a black ring on kind of the black sanded, uh, driving range almost. Right. So it was, uh, it was a good day. It turned out to be a good day. Could have been there you not, go. not the best drive home, but, um, pretty much to- say that Cooktown would saved your marriage. Pretty much. I, I was yeah. like talking to you. So I'm talking to the guys and they're like, oh, it's probably in the truck, like back home. Cause we, we ended up taking one of the other trucks. Um, they're like, oh, it's probably in your truck, but I have the same routine, right? I go like this, take off my watch, pull off my ring all at one. Now I have silicone rings, as you can tell for a reason. But, yeah. um, I was like, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, I know it's not there. And, uh, my friend chef, he's got a tattoo, like he's married. He's got his wedding ring tattooed on. He's like, oh, you should just do that. You'll never lose it again. And, so I go and walk to the range. He comes with me and, uh, we're kind of walking around a little bit. And I finally like realized the or come to the realization that the ring is gone and I'm not going to find it. And I turn, I'm like, let's just go, man. It's fine. We're getting poured on. I turn around and I look down at my foot and it's like literally right in front of my foot. And I just thought no way. And I went back and, uh, I was all like happy. I go back and like, I think I ordered another beer at that point. I, uh, Absolutely. And, and the, and the, our server was like genuinely thrilled that I found the ring. It was, uh, it was pretty great. She made a That's connection awesome. with us based on that. So what a, what a cool experience. Cool story. Could have been, uh, yeah, I don't know. could have been saying damn Copetown woods. They stole my wedding ring, but no, it, yeah. it was a good time. But, um, I wanted to ask you, Barry, as a, as a course owner, um, we've been able to chat with a couple courses now in the past. And I'm kind of curious what, like you've had such a, you know, background of kind of being a farmer, not wanting to be a farmer, kind of being in sports management and whatnot. Now you're working at one of the nicer public courses in Ontario. What's a day in the life like for you? Like uh, you, I know you're getting up really early. Can you kind of explain what the day would be like for yourself? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's not, it's not the most exciting, I guess, I guess, and not the most, um, I don't know that people would be lining up to do it, but, um, yeah, I typically, I like to be here first. I like to open the golf course and, and kind of just be here to kind of get the day started. Um, I, I hate it when I'm not here first, but if I show up, if I roll in at, you know, eight o'clock, it's like, I've, 
missed half the day. So right. I, I'm typically will kind of make this, you know, a day in the life of, of, you know, midsummer. So our first tea times are six, you know, in midsummer, six o'clock, seven days a week. Staff is scheduled 30 minutes prior to that. Um, so we'd have a golf shop, back shop and a, a front of house food and beverage staff to get the coffee going. Um, and so I would typically show up 20 minutes before then. I live 10 minutes away. So I'm, I'm up at quarter after four, um, leave the house just before five, get in here. Um, you know, we, uh, the first thing I always do when I come in, open a couple doors, kind of work my way through, you know, unlock certain things. Um, and then my first thing that I, I do most of the time is make coffee. Um, like you wake up a quarter after four, six or seven days a week. Um, that becomes a pretty important part of your life. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm, yeah, here, here first, uh, get everything unlocked, lights on, everything ready to go. And then the, the staff roll in and, um, it's kind of just yeah, kind of pull the T-sheet up, see kind of what you've got. Oftentimes I'm doing that the night before too. Um, you know, if I'm just sitting down, you know, at home at, you know, before bedtime, which is sometimes eight o'clock. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, thing, yeah, other thing you have to do when you're, when you're yeah. up that early. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh. Yeah, you, you kind of pull the T-sheet up and, and just kind of see what the day brings. There's been no surprises, you know, this year and la- this past summer, this summer and, and this and last summer where every day we're sold out every day. So it's, you know, it's not like there's, you know, I'm looking at gaps on the T-sheet, but it's it's looking at names on the sheet. It's looking at, you know, who's who's coming in. Okay, who do I know who, you know, whether I know them or, you know, I recognize the name, whether that's a good thing if it's, um, you know, somebody come in and that, place here all the time or it's somebody coming in that you know could help in you know if it's a a media guy or whoever that i may be able to you know okay hey there's somebody i can you know pull to do some funny you know something stupid on social and um get a little extra play out of it um like or James if it's somebody Duffy, that, like Duffy, yeah. exactly yeah yeah. yeah yeah so it's um so yeah so it's just kind of looking at that and then yeah and then really i mean then then the day kind of starts and it kind of turns a little bit into groundhog day, you know, at some points um, with it being so busy, my office sits kind of right within the pro shop. And so um, my office door is open and because I've, I've put myself out there as, you know, the face of the, of Copetown woods, um, you know, and I'm not shy. A lot of times there's a lot of, Hey, morning, Barry, how you doing? And it's a lot of people I know, some people I have no idea. Some people they're poking their, their head in and they're like, Barry, Copetown Woods. And, you know, they're just, you know, they're yeah. doing that same thing that, you know, that how you introed me, um, which is good because it shows the engagement that we've got, and, and, you know, that and how, how you know, excited and, and um, you know, happy people are to be here and which is great. I mean, I always tell my staff, people are coming to play golf who are either, they're either leaving work or they're leaving home and leaving all the, you know, their, their honeydew list or their, you know, the things that they've got to do at home. They're leaving that all there. And no matter if they're coming here or any other golf course, golfers are always excited because they always think they're going to shoot their best round too. And then they they go three off the tee on the first hole and then, you know, shit rolls downhill from there. But um, it's uh, so, yeah, so it's just, you know, it's a lot of that. We we're pretty lean on our staff and and not in a, not because of it's been hard to find. um, But that's one of the ways that, you know, that we can, that we manage our business is, is making, making sure that, you know, we don't have people standing around. Um, we don't, you know, you do go into some places that have three or four people in the golf shop and it's like, what, 
what the hell are you, what do you, what do you do? Like, I don't know. I honestly, I don't know what they do. We have one person in the shop and we may have one backup depending on, um, you know, what the day looks like. Um, but I'm, I'm answering phone calls. If they're busy checking people in, I'm answering calls, booking tea times, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, and then at the same time, you know, I'm up walking down, making sure everything's good on the, you know, on the, the F and B side. And, you know, whether that's a quick conversation with, you know, with chef John or with Kelly or food and beverage manager, you know, always kind of chatting with them. And, um, you know, again, from a staffing standpoint, what's the weather like, okay, you know, going to be kind of be crappy today, the day you were there, you know, there was probably two additional servers that were scheduled, but were cut because they, you know, right. we, we weren't going to have the business. And so, um, so it's always kind of monitoring that and, and just kind of paying attention to everything. Um, we've got the, uh, GPS screens on our carts, which makes for a real uh, kind of easy and great way to be able to control and, and kind of see how things are going on the golf course without having to physically go out there all the time. Um, actual eyes and ears on the golf course are, are a good thing to have. And we do have that with our player assistants, but um, I can monitor the, uh, the pace on the golf course. We have, you know, it's a very walkable golf course. We have probably, but we're 70% rider um of you know to 30 percent walker so right. for the most part you can kind of monitor pace you know based on that and um you know that's something again that we're we and every other golf course are big on so paying attention to that and um and then you know oftentimes it's depending again on who's here depending on what you know if it's a nice sunrise or if there's something crazy going on on the golf course or if there's a flock of turkeys walking across the range um you know i'm out and grab my phone or if it's a nice sunrise in the morning, I put the drone up and, um, you know, go and, and capture some content. And, um, you know, there's really not, not much in terms of things that are scripted for the content that I put out there. It's everything's off the cuff. It's what's going on. It's a lot of single takes that, um, it's kind of always better if I screw up and, um, you know, like I crashed the drone last week. I wish, I wish the video, I wish the camera was recording at the time that I crashed it. So you could actually see it crash. Um, but I just clipped the top of a tree and then ended up having to go into the bush and get it. And then got like, I don't know. I don't think it was poison ivy. I don't know what the hell it was. It was itchy as hell for a day or two, but, um, but it's like things like that, that I'll, uh, I'll go out and do. And so it's not like a, it's not a stressful job as in, you know, in, in the sense of like, you know, I'm, I'm not getting my hands out dirty and, you know, our superintendent, his crew, they do an unreal job that, you know, there's no, no babysitting required and, and not that I would babysit, but it's the, you know, those guys are good. And, um, you know, it, our super has been, been here for, I think 12 years. And, um, and so he's like, got this place dialed in, knows everything. So there's really not a whole lot of concern over that. Once we get into conversations about, you know, aeration and different th things, you know, what needs to happen with the golf course, or there's certain holes that we need to do something on, we'll have those conversations. So it's, it's just, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of talking. It's a little, it's a lot of, a lot of conversations with both, you know, internally and externally with, with customers, but um, yeah. And then it's, you know, it's a, usually a, a, you know, mid to late afternoon departure. And, um, and then, you know, it doesn't stop there. It's my phone's always buzzing for social stuff and people, you know, sending messages and commenting and, and I like to be on top of things and don't, of course, so I don't turn it off. Um, you know, my wife, you know, she, she, I mean, she's good. She's, she's just gotten used to it. It kind of is, she's, she just knows it is what it is, but I like to deal with things as they come in, whether those are emails or somebody asking for, you know, information about this or that, or the, you know, or the other thing, 
I'll respond to that right away. I'll, I'll deal right. with all that. And, um, and then usually it's like an eight 30 phone call from, uh, from my old man about something that's gone on that the backshop kids were, were, or weren't doing, or we, you know, this is happening tomorrow or whatever. And so it's, um, it's kind of a 24 seven on, um, you know, type role. And, and it comes with the territory. Obviously I've got a vested interest in the place being a family run family owned and operated. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, I, th- I think my passion shows through and in, in kind of all the stuff that I do. And, and that's one thing that I've tried to push on and not push on. I don't want to push on, you know, push passion to anyone, but get, create that excitement for our staff and for our team and um, you know, leaving our golf course for seven years um, was probably the best thing that I did coming back. This is now my second season back um, in terms of just kind of, you know, how I, my management style and how I deal with things and how I get people excited about things. And, um, and at the end of the day, leading by example. And um, the one thing that I was taught, you know, as a young kid um, and I've said this a million times to people that have worked for me, no matter where I've been, what I've been doing is if you're too little for the big jobs, then you're too big for the, sorry, if you're too big for the little jobs, then you're too little for the big jobs. Right. And so it doesn't matter what you do, what your title is, what your role is. If something needs to be done, roll up your sleeves, go and do it, get, you know, get your hands dirty. And, and that's, uh, that, you know, couldn't have, have played out more truer than, than kind of starting out the last couple of years with. Oh, for sure. Like that's, that's one of the things stuff. I was thinking of was, uh, like you, I have something pretty unique. So when you, when you step up or your tea time's approaching, like I heard Barry's voice on the, on the radio saying, you know, on the screws golf podcast is up next on the tee. And I thought that that was a really cool feature for a, a course to have just to kind of announce, uh, you know, announce your tea time. Like we were over on the range. Yeah. I think it was just kind of a cool vibe for, for me and the guys. And then you were such a, a strong voice as well, kind of like le- a leading voice with the, um, kind of let us play movement right throughout throughout COVID and trying to get people back on the course and of course it's your business and <clears throat> excuse me of course it's your business and you're trying to you know do what you can to increase your numbers and whatnot but it wasn't just about your course like you were explaining actual like theory and the idea of you know how many square footage or like how many acres the typical golf course has and how this is safe and how we can get back out playing so I know a couple of your posts went viral too which was um which was pretty cool to see. There were a lot of people mm-hmm. down in the States saying like, what is happening in Ontario, Canada right now? And why can you guys not go? So I appreciate you being such a, a strong advocate for us there and yeah. being able to articulate that so properly because it was um, such a, I don't know the best wording, but it was such a unique time in, in history, not just for golf, but it was such a, a difficult time for people to understand why we couldn't uh, go out and exercise. Right. So, um, for sure. you kind of mentioned it there a little bit, um, getting into a guy, I'd look back on your social media a little bit. Um, you used to work, uh, in sports management, like you said, we're connected with RBC. You had a really cool post in 2018, the Pebble beach program, um, a partnership with DJ, you kind of mentioned a few other things. Can you talk about some of your past uh, while you were away from the course? It was for seven years you were away from Coketown? Yeah, so the, um, I guess kind of one bat, one step backwards. So we were, um, you know, here at the, you know, working at the golf course back in 2010, 2009, um, I was asked by a neighbor to, to help her out um, with a, uh, a little community campaign, uh, called craft hockeyville, um, which is 
well known now and and you know is, is you know was was well known then too um long story short i ended up kind of helping her and, and kind of taking that over and running the campaign just as a volunteer um and ended up uh you know out of 750 towns in canada that entered um dundas ontario won craft hockeyville 2010 so we hosted the sabers and senators in our little 979 seat arena um in dundas and you know that process of you know that community engagement and events and all these different things that allowed me to you know create that excitement um you know when i thought it was so much work that i had done over the winter to be able to win that you know when when gary bettman announced us on hockey live on hockey night in canada we after everything is done you know everybody's kind of like deep breath and we're like holy christ okay this is crazy this is super cool we're gonna have you know an nhl game here and the guys from the nhl were sitting having a beer and they said okay so what are you doing on monday and i was like i i you'd like golf courses open it's like beautiful weekend uh easter weekend um in april 2010 um and he said well we, we're gonna come in on monday to start like you know planning and everything so at that point, working that way, you know, all the way through, there was an agency there that, um, you know, that was kind of stick handling everything, uh, pun intended. And I was like, what is, so what is this? Like that you guys like, this is your job. Like you, you just like work with the NHL and craft and the NHLPA and all like, this is, you know, so anyway, so, uh, going through that process kind of made me like the, the adrenaline that I had from running those events and from being part of all of that it was just like, it was addictive. And so I knew people that were in the, you know, in the sponsorship industry and, and um, ended up having some conversations and didn't need to leave Coketown Woods, but I kind of had that in the back of my mind. I'm like, God, like I want to, I want to try something like that. And so, so I had the conversation with my dad and I said, you know, you know, it's, would always be my plan to come back at some point, but I think this is, you know, this could be a really good thing, good thing for me. And, and, you know, hopefully eventually a good thing for, you know, for the business. And um, so 2013 through 19, I, I was at uh, Wasserman sports and entertainment. So Wasserman's a global sports marketing agency. Um, one of the biggest and, and certainly one of the top. Um, so I, I did everything. I started as um, managing Shaw communications portfolio uh, who had never really done anything in sponsorship before. They became a premier partner of the Canadian Open. They uh, became a title sponsor of a uh, Champions Tour event out in Calgary. Um, got into some um, athlete endorsements with Graham Dillette, Adam Hadwin, David Hearn. So I managed all of those relationships. Um, and then that kind of led me into, they did a, a, a quite a significant CFL partnership, managed all of that for them, managed LP, uh, sorry, the Manual Life LPGA uh, partnership for a year. And in the last four years that I was at Wasserman, um, I was a director and, and kind of oversaw RBC's golf sponsorship portfolio. So anything to do from, you know, obviously Canadian Open and the RBC Heritage uh, title sponsorships with the tour and everything that goes along with those. So all of the hospitality, all of the ticketing, um, all of the on-site branding conversations with CBS and, and you know, to ensure the, you know, the uh, broadcast branding is there, all of the player relationships. So dealing with, you know, anything Team RBC we would create and, you know, and this still goes on, you know, my former colleagues are still doing this that, you know, it's coming up with the recommendations of, okay, here are the, you know, the players that we should look at here's, you know, having the conversations with the agents and, you know, getting the price and, and the numbers of what we can get out of them. And, um, and then carrying that through to, you know, like you said, the, the post uh, that I had made back in 2018 with DJ um, out at Pebble beach. So Dave McKay, the CEO of RBC, he was playing in the pro-am. So we, 
essentially made the launch of that uh, of the relationship at Pebble Beach. So myself and and um, my client from RBC, we were out there, and um, yeah, we basically just had a, a boardroom uh, at the the inn at Spyglass, and uh, brought yeah, that was the first time I met DJ, and um, yeah, I introduced him to Dave Mackay, and. Yeah, introduced him to Dave, and uh, and then from there, you know, was able to, um, you know, create a pretty good good relationship with DJ, um, which actually carried on through my, you know, past my time at Wasserman, which is a funny story. So May of last year, we we had not quite been able to open the golf course yet because of COVID. Um, I think it was May seventeenth we opened. Um, so it was like early May. The very first uh, tour event after COVID was the RBC Heritage no agents were allowed. Nobody else was just players. So I'm sitting at home. It was like seven 30 and my phone rings and I'm like, what the hell? Like, I'm like, hello. He's like, Hey Barry, it's Dustin. I'm like, Hey DJ, how you doing, man? He's like, he's like, I'm good. I'm good. He's like, Hey, so are you, uh, are you going to come like meet me at the, uh, at the hotel and like walk over to the clubhouse to, to do this thing. And so as opposed to in-person meet and greets and, and VIP hospitality, it turned into, zoom and you know you know digital and, and virtual meet and greets with you know all rbc's high net worth clients and so my you know the guys that, that were you know working for me and the, and the guy that took over um you know the portfolio when i left uh they had provided everything you know like all of the um you know the information of who to call what to do when um everything was there for them but it was probably just a you know i'll just call barry and find out yeah. so i'm like Excuse me. Is that actually, never, you know, I've not, look, I've never met DJ, but that sounds like a DJ type of thing to do. Just be like, okay, I don't want to go through all of these steps and stuff. I'm just going to call this guy, figure out what we're doing. Right. So yeah, just exactly. What's the, uh, what's the easy, uh, what's the easy way out, but, yeah. um, and not easy way out in, in a negative sense, but he, um, so yeah. So I said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm actually, you know, not, not there anymore at Wasserman. I'm, I'm running the family's family golf course and he's like, Oh, sorry, man. And so anyway, so that was a, a pretty funny thing to, uh, <clears throat> to have take, uh, happen. Um, DJ, by the way, out of all of the players outside of the Canadians, cause all those guys were always really, really good and, and great to deal with. DJ was probably the, the best and easiest player to deal with him and his agent acted like I dealt with players, not all team RBC, but you know, we would have other players that we would, you know, that we would contract to come into a certain event or come and, you know, do appearances, you know, at a golf outing or something like that, that were like 600th, you know, ranked in the world yeah. and their agent and them and the player would act like they're number one and that they can't do this and they can't do that. DJ and his agent, David Winkle, unbelievable. The easiest guys to deal with never there was a lot of we we would just call them clock watchers um that you know if it was a two-hour appearance or you know or or whatever the the timing was on it was supposed to be done at noon or done at six at you know 555 you know the players looking at this and you know some of these guys have their agents hover and and kind of wait dj's agent he would never come to the events because he's like you guys got it like you're you know dj's good he's comfortable with you guys so and dj would never leave before coming and always asking is there anybody else you want me to meet? And like, wow. which is unbelievable for a guy like that, as good as he is. And um, it's, yeah, really, really good guy to deal with. So, um, but yeah, so anyway, so yeah, all of that to, you know, I've, so I, I managed four Canadian opens and, and heritage RBC heritage for, um, for RBC. And, and again, all the hospitality and everything at those events and partnerships with golf Canada and the PGA of Canada. Um, and then it could kind of 
run its course. And we were, my office was the, we were working downtown Toronto and I'm commuting in from Dundas. So I'm, you know, I'm a solid hour and a half each way um, at very best every day. Uh, and it, yeah, it, it kind of run its course and um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of, a whole lot of new crazy things going on and happening. And I'm, I like new, I like to change things up. I like to, you know, kind of have, you know, be able to be creative. And um, so, yeah, so it was at that point that I kind of bowed out from Wasserman and, uh, and yeah, made my return back to, back to Copetown Woods. And, um, and again, you know, uh, my dad would say the same thing. Best thing that could have happened for our business was me going there. And, and not only, obviously it opened up my network and, um, but I traveled and, you know, we ran 30 events at some of the best golf courses in North America. You know, we'd be in West Palm or Palm Springs or all over Canada, New York city, wherever. So anytime, even though I wasn't working at the golf course, I would go into those golf courses with kind of that golf course owner, manager, operator hat on as well. And kind of looking at things of like, okay, that's a good idea. And there was multiple things where multiple times where I would pick up the phone or take a picture and send it to my dad or call him and be like, Hey, like, you know, this golf course is doing this or this. And it's like just cool, unique, different ideas that, you know, oftentimes they could be the nicest golf courses, but it doesn't cost any money. Or sometimes you go into some of the nicest golf courses and you just kind of look around and be like, what in the hell are they thinking? Like it's, it kind of was, you know, went a little bit both ways, but, um, but it was, so it was always that. So always kind of just. Well, being able to go to all those different courses and kind of take pieces to kind of bring back to Copetown. Right. And it's a memory for you each day too, but it's kind of things that me as the, as a golfer at the, at the course would be able to experience like little pieces from you know, your journey or your, you know, four years at, at the different, like at the different company at Wasserman. Right. So yep. I, yep. like I even mentioned like the little thing, like simply just kind of announcing the tea times and stuff like that. Yep. And, and, you know, I know you guys obviously spent a few extra dollars on the cards to make the, you know, you probably saw those at a course. I know they came from uh, Augusta, I believe. Right. So, yep. um, just things like that, that me as the golfer <laughs> attending your course, you know, we appreciate, right. We appreciate all those little things. And, and, uh, so yeah, I get how that could be sort of, um, you know, a, a cool experience to take a little bit from, from each adventure along the way. Do you have anything that sticks out in your mind other than that call from DJ when you're no longer working there saying, uh, what am I doing tomorrow or whatever it may be, but do you have anything that kind of sticks out in your mind as, uh, like that was a really cool experience or your favorite experience from that, uh, that part of the journey? That's a good question. I don't know that I've ever been asked that actually. Um, I would, uh, you know what? I, I wouldn't say there's any kind of one specific one. I, I think there's just, there, it was, we ran a lot of like a lot of real cool events and, and we, we were given a, a fair amount of, you know, leash, I, I guess you could say to be able to kind of come up with, you know, with ideas and, um, and seeing how open, you know, RBC is and, and their, you know, their leadership team. And I mean, Mary DePauli is a huge advocate for golf and um, in Canada and, and she's been great and, and uh, kind of keeping everything going. Um, and so I, I think it's just, it's, it's great to see a company like that invest what they do and not just in the professional game, you know, they're getting down into the kind of the grassroots and they're, they're doing stuff with, with the team Canada, you know, junior and amateur squad and and the PGA of Canada to kind of get, you know, get that excitement. And, and they were doing this before COVID. And, and so, but they continue to do so. And um, it'll be great to, to get the open back, uh, back going next year at St. George's for them. And um, I can't wait to go and, and, uh, and see if I can, see if I can snake some tickets from them to, uh, to just go and, and be somebody that doesn't have to worry about, uh, walking by the buffet and making sure the golf, the, the, the golf course staff is making sure they top it up. Um, but it, uh, yeah, no, I, I think overall it was great. And, um, 
you know, that said, kind of that kind of journey and, and then coming back here, you know, the one thing I, I learned how to, I learned how to present, I learned how to, you know, learned how to write, I learned how to uh, create presentation decks. I, I started when I, my first day in 2013, I was asked to create a presentation deck and I was like, what the hell is it? What? Like, I'd ask him, like, what's a presentation deck? Like what? I had no idea what it was. Well, that turned into, you know, anytime we would come up with a, you know, with a concept or a new idea, we'd put a 20 page presentation deck together that would kind of, you know, build it up, lead into it, explain what it was, what are the benefits? What are the, you know, what's the ROI on it? All these different things. And then sometimes that would go up the ladder and come back down and it was a completely different idea. Um, and, you know, that's where a wise man once told me a, a camel is a horse built by committee. Um, the nice thing now coming back here is that if I think of a good idea now, I'm just going to go and do it. Yeah. And so there's no, um, there's no camels here because it's if the one person that I may need to bounce an idea off of um, is my dad. And so if it's going to cost a significant you know, amount of money, obviously that's, you know, that's something that we have a conversation about, but um, in terms of some of the different things we're doing, concepts we're doing, um, you know, last week we, you know, when we were doing aeration, you know, we kept nine holes closed each day and it was, you know, nine holes, 25 bucks, including cart, super cheap. Cause otherwise people aren't going to come out and play anyway. Um, and then just to make it fun, we're only going to play off the very front tees we're, and we're going to tuck each pin to make it super hard just for no other reason than just for the hell of it, just yeah. for fun. And, and we like, we're almost sold out, which on a day that we would have, you know, probably not have anybody, uh, anybody play. And, um, so things like that, I can just kind of take and run, run with and, um, which is, which is nice. It's funny. I'm watching it. I'm watching the office for like the thousand time, right? Probably the biggest office fan ever. And, Yesterday, there's a new boss, Charles Minor. I'm in the episode where he says to Jim, oh, can you give me a rundown on that? Like whatever it is that he's working on, right? Can you give me a rundown? And Jim's thinking like, what the, what the hell's a rundown? He didn't know. So it kind of reminded me yeah. of the story you're just telling me. But, yeah. Uh, presentation um, deck. No idea. Exactly. Yeah. Presentation deck, rundown. Nobody knows what they are. But um, I, I asked you that question because I saw you in a golf cart with a photo of you in a golf cart with... Um, you know, father hockey, Walter Gretzky and his, oh, that, his son, been, that might have been son. the best one. Actually. Yeah. yeah. So, yes. so it, it made me think like you're, it, it's not so much that you're, well, I guess you're in there with the greatest hockey player of all time. Right. Um, and Walter Gretzky. So I figured, you know, unfortunately he's passed now, but that's gotta be, those are two absolute icons, uh, in just Canadian sports. So I kind of thought that that might be, an experience that you'll you'll never forget obviously right so can you well do we still yeah, have a few minutes of your time you, yeah absolutely so okay. that was a good one so that was at the uh, yeah the 19 open at hamilton um so you know obviously walter living in brantford dj coming into play um dj's agent called and, and said that uh, that there's a good chance that wayne and janet were going to come in and they were going to bring walter with them nice and i said okay okay let's you know that's great and so that he said, he's like, can you get them, can you get them in the gates? Like, can you get them to be able to park up close? Cause Walter can't, can't walk. And I said, yeah, no problem. And, you know, we obviously were tight with the, uh, you know, head of security to be able to make sure that we could, you know, give them the, uh, the, the green light to get in. And, um, so yeah, so, uh, I guess it was the second day that Walter came, but the first day Wayne and Janet, uh, you know, they came in and so it was a conversation before they got there with the head of security and the head of, um, the the head sergeant of the Hamilton police at the time, um, who was kind of managing everything on the ground. And so I said, okay, like Wayne's coming. So I don't know what he's going to want to do. I don't know if he's going to want to go on the golf course or if he's going to just kind of hang in the clubhouse. 
So just FYI, I'll let you know when he comes. So I get the call that he's, you know, that he's at the gate. He comes in. So met, you know, met him and Janet and, and um, I think, I don't know if it was a Santai or Trevor, which one, I'm not sure which one was, uh, that was there. Um, so we're just chatting and I said, you know, okay, so what's the plan? Is it, you know, is it a, you know, you're hanging in the clubhouse. You, Wayne's like, no, no, like, I, you know, like we want to go out and we want to go out and walk. And, um, you know, DJ likes it when we're out there walking with him, supporting him. And um, which just sounds funny that, you know, that DJ is looking for Wayne in the crowd to, you know, make sure, yeah. make sure father-in-law is watching out there. But, um, but uh, I said, okay, like, you know, uh, police, you know, Sergeant and, and head of security, they're, they're a little concerned. You're in Hamilton. You're, you know, you're Wayne Gretzky. Um, and, uh, and he's like, honestly, Barry, like, it's i'm fine like i if somebody wants a picture if they want an autograph whatever like i'm cool with it there's no problem at all so i tell this to the head sergeant he's like oh for god's sakes like (laughs) so he basically had somebody like in a golf cart 30 yards behind them at all times just kind of staying out of the way and and just to be just to be safe but um and it was funny because those two days that you know the next day they came back and um and yeah they brought walter walter had never seen dj play golf before he'd never seen him hit a golf ball so we got um you know through tour staff and and tour security we were able to have walter come down we've got a chair for him set up um on the range to be able to come and and watch him hit balls on the range and then about 10 minutes before his tee time they allowed him to go up and sit at the back of the of the first tee nice. uh, to be able to watch him hit a, hit a tee shot and so that was kind of where the picture came from so i was always i i was pushed us on all my staff at Wasserman too. We're going to meet a lot of cool people. There are a lot of people that you can say that you're going to meet, that you're going to talk to that, you know, your friends might be like, Oh, that's super cool. Like obviously like a guy like DJ is one, but don't ever take a picture with them. They are with you. They're with us. They're trusting us as they're away from the autograph hounds. They're away from the people that want to take their picture and post on social media. Just, they're normal people and they all are, they are the most normal people that just like you and I, they, we would literally have the same conversation with them. So don't take your picture with them. Don't ask for an autograph. Just act like you've been there before. So I'd always do that. Wayne was a different story for me. Cause I'd never met Wayne before and I don't get starstruck and I wasn't really starstruck with him, but I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. So I got a, I have a golf cart. So I've got Janet sitting on the front seat beside me and I've got Wayne and Walter on the back of the golf cart. So I said to one of my staff, I'm like, go over to the other side of the ropes and get a picture of me driving. Like get, I want this picture of me of driving Wayne and Walter. And so drove Walter up and then I stood there and we waited for DJ's tea time. And I, I chatted with Wayne for probably 10 minutes, just shooting the shit about my boys hockey. They, you know, they, they were playing minor hockey in Dundas and one of my boys had a real good team and won some OMHA championships. He's not Wayne Gretzky or anything close and, and isn't going to make a career to playing hockey, but it was kind of cool. And then he started talking to me. He's like, Oh yeah. Like the rink in Dundas or, you know, I love playing there and this and that. And then we started talking about like, it was like names that he brought up of people that I knew. And it was just, it was just a, a, a cool experience for me that um, I'm glad you reminded me. Cause uh, that was, that was oh. definitely that one of the top ones that had nothing to do with anybody, any golfers or anything. You know, I've, I've, I've asked that question a few times to people like, what would be the, you know, the highlight. And it seems recently, a lot of people are kind of almost every week, somebody mentions Arnold Palmer and having a conversation with him or connecting with him and just being able to have a conversation, like you said, right? So we're, we're Canadians, obviously Wayne Gretzky yeah. is a household name anywhere in the world. And 
um, the greatest player to ever play a game. And it's not our national sport, which a lot of people think, but it is kind of our adopted sport. And it's, it's unbelievable. Like it's, uh, it would be such a great, I don't know, just feeling to be able to connect and, and, you know, if you get a picture of it, that's great. Cause, uh, I don't know. Wayne Gretzky is one of those people that it would be hard to not be starstruck hanging out with him. For yeah, for sure. And I, I actually have another cool pick of a, of a, uh, that I didn't know anybody was taking. I think it was just the actual photographer we had on site at an event that we were running during Canadian open week at Mississauga. We would always run kind of simultaneous events at Mississauga golf club and Glen Abbey or Greystone um, for the different lines of business for RBC, where we'd have seven or eight tour players at each of the golf courses right. uh, during event week. And so I think that that one, there was like DJ and, I know Finau was there and potentially Kepka and, you know, a few of the, the team RBC guys. And I was, it was after we did a breakfast with them and then they were just about to go out and play. They were going to take some pictures with people. And so there's me like literally like directing traffic, like, like calling out marching orders. And the first person in line was Jack Nicholas, which was kind of a cool picture to, you oh, know, for sure. it was like, Jack this is my show. You listen to goddamn world. I'm the boss here. You listen. No, I didn't say that, but, uh, but it kind of looked like I was saying that to him in the picture and he was like, you know, not paying any attention to me. So, um, he's like, who is this donkey? You're going to have to, uh, gonna have to yeah. send me that photo. Anybody watching over on YouTube, I'll try and pop it up if I can get it. I'll that's, see if I can find it. Yeah. Yeah. That that's definitely pretty cool. I, um, yeah. like I kind of felt like back at the Ryder cup, like Michael Jordan was there and so many people were like trying to connect with him. There's, there's very few polarizing people on the planet. And like, for me, you know, obviously like MJ, Jack, Tiger, um, Arnold Palmer, like Wayne Gretzky would be one of them. Like it would just be yeah. sort of one of those. I don't know how to have a conversation with this person. And again, like I don't get overly starstruck. Like you said, like I'm comfortable. I understand they're human beings and they want their time. And I'm, you know, that's great that they probably really respect you for being able to like kind of give them their, their space in those moments. But, uh, That'd be tough, Barry. That'd be tough. Yeah. So, so good for you. Yeah. And and giving marching orders to Jack is uh, is pretty amazing. Um, yeah. To kind of roll off that, I want to. I always love asking this question. I usually give a heads up, but I know that you're a pretty impromptu guy. You'll be okay with this one. If you're gonna go out and play a round of golf, dream foursome. Who would the uh, Who would the others be with you? It could be celebrities, family, could be golfers, anybody. Who would those uh, those other three be? That is a real good question. Um, I would say I'm going to go a little bit off the board with this and, and the one family member who is, it's kind of a, a bit of a different one. Um, but just kind of in the current kind of state where we are right now. So I've got a nephew, my sister's um, middle son uh, who has turned into a, a bit of a stud uh, player. So um, his name's Pearson Hunt. So Pearson's right now in a sophomore year at Illinois um, just one uh, the Islesworth Collegiate Invitational, um, his first NCAA win. Uh, and he's, uh, he's a big, tall, he's a big Canadian lefty um, that uh, I think, I think you'll hear, you'll hear his name um, probably sooner than later, which is, which is very cool. And, um, you know, he doesn't, they don't get up here very often. Obviously his golf schedule has always been, you know, pretty full. And, and I think he, maybe it's maybe two years ago, they came up um, and I played with him and, I think he shot par on a pretty kind of mundane round, but he didn't do anything wrong and just, you know, but hits the ball a ton. At the time, I think he was, he was probably 17 at the time. He's just yeah. a kid still. Um, I but, actually, uh, funny you yeah. mentioned him because I, I was going to ask you about him so we can, uh, we'll, we'll keep him as, as one of them, but um, anybody who kind of wanted to check him out, uh, I, I've started following him, followed a little bit of his, uh, his playing career now um, 
Pearson Hunt, yeah, your nephew, and uh, he won the 120th uh, Wisconsin State Amateur um, Championship by six shots. So he's uh, yeah. definitely the best amateur in uh, in in Wisconsin. Um, rounds of 68, <laughs> 72, 70, 69. So those are um, not just good rounds, but very, very like there's at that age. Obviously, you're gonna have some days where it may not go as well, but to have that type of consistency through a week is uh, is pretty amazing. So. Um, I would and playing against yeah grown men too. Not playing; it's not a junior event yeah. anymore, right? He's yeah. nineteen and he's going out and and he's doing that. And he actually uh, the the Wisconsin State Open. He actually, I think he may have tripled or quadrupled a hole on the back nine this year. Um, otherwise, probably would have won the Wisconsin State Open along with the Wisconsin State Amateur in the same year, which I don't know that it had ever happened before. I mean, Wisconsin doesn't, like, when you first say it, doesn't sound like a big golf, you know, big, right. you know, it's not like Florida or Carolinas or whatever. But, I mean, you start thinking of what Wisconsin golf is all about now. And, and you know, there's a ton of golfers in Wisconsin. And, obviously, you've got Whistling Straits and Aaron Hills. And mm-hmm. now you've got, you know, Mammoth Dunes and, um, you know, Sand sand valley um so it's it's pretty uh yeah pretty big well, pretty big golfing state for winning sure. by six strokes is a significant amount too like it's not like you're kind of you know that's a that's a big margin over over you yeah. know even four days right think about you know last time somebody won by six strokes like i don't know patrick reed won by six strokes earlier last year um yeah but it's like you don't hear that much like when you talk about golf events and on tour there's you know from the top to the bottom it's it's so close. Like these players are all so good. They're all so close. So to not just win, but dominate by uh six strokes. So I would, I would definitely yeah. come, I'll come carry the bag or drive the card or whatever it is. And I'll come check it out. Cause I would just, I would love to see him play, but uh, yeah. so we got your nephew. Uh, so my nephew. And then uh, I think I'd be remiss to say tiger just cause yeah. I mean, why, why wouldn't you want to? Yeah. Um, and then uh, who would I throw in there as the fourth? Um, Tiger's you know, I, like, I probably tigers every week. Like there's only been a couple of people who haven't mentioned tiger. I probably asked this question to 30 or 40 people. Now I think this is episode 48 or 49. We're coming up yeah. on a year now. And this is uh, I would say tiger is probably 45 of them. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's just, it's just an easy one. And um, God, I've never been asked this question before. I've heard it asked a million times to everybody else, but I've never been asked it before. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm going to go again off the, uh, off the wall here a little bit um off track and because i don't really care if people do it here i'm going against your own rules and i'm making a fivesome um and i'm bringing both of my boys um who are are now declan and oliver who now 15 and 13 but uh um yeah take the two of them and uh but don't worry we'll keep up with the group in front so you don't need to worry about our pace well you know there's so many people that have gotten to the point where it's like oh i can't decide between these two and they're like okay i'll just carry the bag i'll just caddy or whatever it is yeah. and, and i would be happy to do so as well or even just kind of yeah. come manage the course a little bit but uh yeah that's, yeah that's 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 pretty cool that would be you know for i'm sure for your sons and your nephew like being able to golf with tiger would be i don't know that'd be crazy i would forfeit that to to my son any day but uh, oh yeah yeah it'd be yeah. pretty amazing very i really sure. appreciate it um i i know like you said it's i don't know if you're having a nice day out there we're a little ways away it's a little rainy here right now but i appreciate you taking all this time kind of give us an uh, giving us an idea of what it's like to uh run a course and kind of just be in the business of golf and what your day-to-day would be like and also 
kind of all the different experience at the course. I love what you guys are doing. I love the social media aspect. You and I connect a lot through there. I like the drone work. I like kind of being able to see all the, uh, the updates and whatnot. It's very cool. Um, so thanks for taking so much time. I know I probably took a little bit too much this morning, but, um, if anybody's looking to get a hold of you, ask any questions about the course, um, want any details, can you kind of share how we can get a hold of you on social medias? And would you mind just before we wrap up, giving the rates one more time? Yeah. So our, um, our green fee rates, uh, for the 2021 season, which I don't really anticipate being much different. We haven't had that conversation yet for 2022, but, um, yeah, we're our highest price green fee is 59 Monday to Friday, 69 on weekends. Um, we do a, a before nine and after three during the week. That's only 47 bucks. Um, so it's, a yeah, it's a bit of a, bit of a steal. Um, yeah, you will, and then you yeah. will be extremely hard pressed mm-hmm. to find a better bang for your buck than, than those rates. So I appreciate you sharing those. That's great. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I mean, to get a hold of me, I, I mean, through socials is, you know, the real, a real easy way. I manage all of our social, you know, platforms. So anything on whether it's Twitter or Instagram or Facebook at Cooptown Woods, um, that's the, the easiest way for sure. And, um, you know, anybody that's in the business that wants to connect to, uh, you know, chat about one thing or another, I'm a, as you can probably tell, I'm a bit of an open book and um, we're not, we're not hiding, hiding anything. And I, there's definitely, we've got, I've got a few things in my back pocket that I like to kind of, and I keep, and I like to be the first out of the gate with a lot of things, but after that, it's like free for all. Um, and if, if I see somebody's good idea, there's hundred percent, I'm stealing it. Cause <laughs> you know, it's a, it's just a form of flattery. I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to be, be a bad guy, but, uh, um, but if, yeah, even connect with me on LinkedIn, you know, kind of more from a personal standpoint, um, happy to be able to connect through that as well. well. I think it's safe to say you guys were the first ones to do the pop-up picnics on course when we weren't allowed to play. I don't know if I saw that idea anywhere else, but that was really cool. Just being able to, uh, come out with my wife. Um, we walked nine holes. She was, uh, I don't know, six, seven months pregnant at the time. So we didn't get through the full 18, but to even just be able to kind of sit and have lunch was, uh, it was a really cool pivot. It was a really nice move to make to, uh, kind of get people out and check out the course and then get us wanted to come back too. Right. So, Appreciate yep, all you're for, sure. for the game, Barry. Really appreciate your time. Looking forward to getting back out there and seeing you again. And uh, yeah, all the best. Enjoy the rest of the season. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, I can see you before it's over. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. He's out in my ball and of course I tee up. I lose a ball and I re up. I miss the fairway. I probably end up in the ocean or maybe the beach. And I'm on a part five and I'm finna go reach it. Second was blind. I see it. Feel like it might be an average. I was